From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. For people who have a disease such as ALS or Luke Gehrig's disease, losing the ability to speak can be frustrating and emotionally devastating. But technology today is offering ways to maintain communication so that a person still has some independence. In the HealthLink on Air studio to talk about these options is speech-language pathologist Jenna Gardner. Welcome, Jenna. Hi, thank you. Let's start with some background on what ALS is and how it affects communication. It stands for amyotrophic lateral sclerosis? Amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, yes. So what is that? So ALS can affect people in several different ways. Um, We talk about... It, it being either a ball bar onset or a spinal onset, and sometimes it can be both. So ball bar means that it's going to affect their speech and swallowing primarily. Spinal is going to see, you're going to see more of a limb onset, so arms and legs and body weakness. So depending on where it starts. Yep. And some people can have one or the other or both. And it's um, an, it's so neurodegenerative. It affects yes. the nerve cells. Yep, it's a motor neuron disease. So how that affects communication is that most of these patients who are diagnosed with that uh, with ALS don't have changes necessarily in their language. So their ability to think of what they want to say or understand what people are saying, but it affects their motor speech. So they can't actually formulate words. So, so they're just, essentially trapped in their body, okay. knowing what they want to say, but can't. Now, from what I understand, we don't know what causes it. Some There's some inheritability, but... There's a small familiar um, component to ALS, but most of it is what they call sporadic. So, And they call it Lou Gehrig's disease because of the famous baseball player that yes. yep. was, had the diagnosis. Now, what happens as the disease progresses? Does It gets worse, right? It does. Yep. Um uh, when you're diagnosed, you know, life expectancy can vary across people, but oftentimes we see that when patients lose their ability to safely swallow, that um, things can progress a little bit faster because they don't have the ability to protect their airway from food or liquid going down the wrong way and even manage their saliva. So the patients who lose that speech and swallow component, um, you know, sometimes we... Um, see that progression go a little bit faster. So you may be diagnosed with this when your your limbs are affected, mm-hmm. but over time, uh, your speech could mm-hmm. be affected, right? Yep. And then, you know, a lot of times this is misdiagnosed in the beginning because if someone comes in to their physician or into the hospital and they have slurred speech, they're going to think stroke, you know, or they may um, have changes in their voice and go to an ear, nose and throat doctor and get a workup there. So sometimes diagnosis can be a little bit delayed as they're ruling out other options. So let's focus in on the communication. Mm -hmm. What what is happening? What what's happening in the body that affects the communication in someone who has ALS? So again, it's a it's a motor neuron disease. So it's affecting the actual motor ability. So you're going to have muscle weakness. So like I said before, their ability to know what they want to say or understand communication is typically with ALS intact. It's just that they don't have the muscle control or ability to formulate words. So So they would attempt to speak, but it would come out very slurred. Um, Some people say, you know, they've been told it sounds like I have drunken speech or people can't understand me, but I know what I want to say. 
Is it the muscles around the vocal cords or? It can be a little bit of everything. A lot of times when we think about speech, it's your articulator. So um, weakness in your lips, in your tongue, your, even your ability to um, move your jaw and keep your mouth closed or, or move the, the lower jaw. You can have weakness in the muscles in your throat um, and in your voice box as well. So it can affect your voice. So once these symptoms start happening to you, um, are they there for good or does, or do you have days where it's not so bad and days where it is worse? It will be affected by fatigue. So if you use those muscles a lot, you may find by the end of the day that um, your muscles are, you, that your speech may not be quite as clear. Some people start out stronger earlier in the day and are their speech is worse by the end of the day. So we talk a little bit about um, energy conservation. You know, if you know you have a big event or something important or a phone call that you want to be on in the evening, try to use, you know, vocal rest and earlier in the day to conserve. But once those symptoms are there, they will, they will stay. Um, is there any predicting um, how quickly this disease progresses? No. For someone? No. Nope. And some people have onset of symptoms and it plateaus and stays like that for a while. And other people have kind of more of a steady uh, decline. And every time we see them, it's just a little bit worse. This is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with Upstate speech-language pathologist Jenna Gardner about communication devices for people who have ALS, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease. So what is available for ALS patients who need help communicating? What's out there? There are a lot of options out there. Um, when I'm explaining this to patients, we talk about low-tech to high-tech options. So thinking about low-tech um, or low-technology you're dealing with just simple pen and paper writing options. Um, you could, we could develop a communication board, so they just would point to pictures or words. Um, so if you're if you're losing your ability to speak clearly, you might still be able to write. Mm -hmm. It just depends on how the disease has affected that individual. If they okay. don't have any limb onset yet, they can still use their hands, and they may be able to write or, again. Um, point to pictures using a whiteboard. We have something that we use called a boogie board in our clinic to offer patients, and it's a great option that it looks like a small tablet, and you write on it with a stylus, and then when you want to erase, you just push a button, and the message disappears. So it's a little easier than having to make sure you always have um, a fresh pad of paper or compared to a whiteboard dealing with the messy markers and erasers. So these, the battery life lasts for a very long time. They're really quite inexpensive in the grand scheme of things. So that's, and that's easier than sort of typing on a computer or something. Um, it, for some people, you know, if we have some depends on, you know, everybody's um, preference because we have some people that are very much not tech savvy and, and don't want anything technological in their life to communicate and they prefer the writing option. So those are discussions that I have with patients when we're trying to figure out what will best meet That's their needs work. and what, sure. what their goals are. Okay. And then we kind of go more to a middle ground, which I'll talk a little bit more in a minute about uh, what I call transitional devices. And then there are insurance-funded devices, and we call them speech-generating devices. And 
they're they're wonderful, but insurance will only pay for one device every five years. So we have to think about what a person's needs may be across the course of the disease when we're factoring in what device to request through insurance. And at some point, if a patient loses their ability to use their hands to type or write to communicate, there are options to control these devices using your eye movement. But there are oftentimes the devices that accommodate eye gaze are larger and heavier. So somebody who maybe doesn't have any limb weakness to start out, they're not going to want to be carrying around a five pound device with them everywhere they go. It's not very portable. And that's where the inspiration for our voice library came from. It was that there are these transitional devices like iPads or some form of a tablet where you can put apps apps on there that are for communication. So you would type what you want to say and it speaks it. But like you've described, this is a progressive disease. And Mm -hmm. so you're having to sort of predict what a person might need. Mm -hmm. Seems like it would be a little hard to do that sometimes. It is. And those are conversations that we have and we help guide patients through to make the best decision for them. Um, And if they want the the bigger device, we certainly go forward. There is the option. They do have insurance-funded smaller devices, but if during that five-year time span they lose their ability to use their hands to access that device, it's a gamble that they may end up without a, a device that they could use. So using something more in this transitional um category is a nice option for someone before they may need the dedicated device. So tell me about the transitional device. What it, What is this? Yeah. So, um, I mean, as we all know, there there's app, there's an app for everything out there <laughs> these days. And <laughs> people have developed, um, there's so many different apps out there, but there are communication apps. And most of them are what we call text to speech. So you type in a message, you push a button and it speaks what you say. Some of the apps do have like pre-stored phrases on them or um, picture symbols, depending on what people need. So what we did, we actually applied for a Friend Indeed grant, and we received one, which was fantastic. Um, And that's through Upstate. That is. That's the Upstate Friend Indeed. And we were able to, we call it, we started a voice library because these devices, while they're wonderful, aren't covered by insurance. So it's an out-of-pocket expense. So if anyone's ever purchased a tablet, um, you know, it's, they can be pricey. And then you're looking at buying an app and they, the apps come, they're low cost, you know, some of them are free, up to a few hundred dollars for one of these. And so these are like iPad tablets? Yes. Or, well, what and, we purchased is an iPad, but you can you, get, um, there are, you know, different tablets you can purchase as okay. well. We just went more the iPad route because they're a little more secure and okay. longer lasting typically. So we purchased um, a bunch of the the tablets and then um, a really nice application called Predictable. And it has the the option to type a message and have it speak what you say. There's a lot of preset phrases. You can customize it, pick multiple voices. And it also has the option that you can write messages and it will pick up your handwriting and speak what you say. So for some of our folks that maybe prefer the writing over the typing, it's a pretty versatile app. That's got to be, if you're having trouble speaking, that's got to be 
eye-opening to be able to... Yeah. Um, and like I said, some a lot of people already have something in, in the techie world as far as a smartphone or a tablet of some sort. And if they do have that, I'll usually talk them through. Here are some apps, play around with them, you know, if they want to use their own devices. But we So ha- if they have a phone already, they might be able to use this predictable app and try it out and see yeah. if it's... Yep. So this app only, I don't believe, goes on the phone. So some go on phones, some go on tablets, okay. some go on both. Um, so it, it all depends. And it Again, it's it's um, it's patient choice, really, what they want to do. But again, if they have the option to use one of their own devices and we can put something on there, great. Or if they want to purchase it to have. But some of our patients can't afford it. It's an extremely expensive disease. Um, if you think about all the things they're going to need throughout the course of the progression. So that's one thing to factor in. Or someone may not be sure if they really want to go this route. So these our little library that we've started is going to be such a nice option to let people try them out, see if they like them. Once we hand one out to somebody, it's theirs for as long as they need or want it. And then with the expectation that we'll get it back when they're, it's no longer needed so that we can keep um, reusing them for other people in the future. So the voice library, this is for upstate patients mm-hmm. who come to see you? At is our it? clinic, okay. yep. So it's one of the things, you know, when I consult with them and we talk about the changes that's going to happen with their communication, I walk them through all of the low-tech to high-tech communication choices that they have. And if they're interested in something like this and they don't have the resources to have one of their own or get one of their own, because again, this isn't something insurance will cover. They're not dedicated devices, and um, because they can they can be used for communication, but they're not meant for communication. Insurance won't cover them. Hopefully, someday that'll change. Um, but for now, this is what we're working with, and in the parameters of what insurance will cover. So it's a good alternative for them to be able to have access to something like this. Tablets are so much more socially acceptable too. So a lot of people find that they have a little bit easier time carrying around an iPad and using and being on it and using that out in public compared to a larger communication device. And what does it sound like? So I recorded a, a message earlier. Good morning, Amber. How are you today? Oh, so you just type that in and, yep. and then it said it. For and you. you could type anything that you would like, um, you know, any, and then if that's a phrase that you're going to use frequently, you can put it into your set phrases and have access to them. So they try to make it as efficient as possible so that you don't have to type everything. And then you can have different categories of my household needs, my bathroom needs, um, breakfast, lunch, and dinner choices. Um, if you're going to your doctor's appointment, you can put all your questions in ahead of time so that way you're not sitting there typing in the moment. You can just hit a button and it'll say, I want to talk about adjusting my medications or are there any new trials, clinical trials that I can participate in? Or, you know, these are the issues that I'm having. Um, so you can really kind of prepare. Um, I always say to think about if you're going to get together with your friends or your family, think about the questions you want to ask. If you know they've just been on a vacation or gone somewhere or something exciting has happened, put all your questions that you have for them in there ahead of time so that way you can more efficiently communicate back and forth um, and not have to wait to type a message. Well, this is interesting. It seems like it might also be suitable for uh, people with other conditions. Absolutely. Um, So that's good to know the app predictable. Mm -hmm. Um, Thank you so much. My guest has been Jenna Gardner. She's a speech language pathologist at Upstate. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.